Right. Well, uh, a very warm welcome again. Um, if you're visiting us, it's great to have you with, with us. Um, the verse that we're specifically looking at today is found in the passage we just read, and it's verse 12 and 13. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And over the last few weeks, learning to love has been our topic. As a church, we look at the Bible, we try and understand what it meant then, and then we apply it to our lives today and try and work out, well, what does that look like for me now, living 2,000 years later from what Jesus said? We've been looking at verses in the Bible um, and trying to dig into them in this theme of learning. We've had live a life of love, walk in the way of love. And then last week, we, ha- uh, we did have two weeks ago, don't love with words and speech, but with actions. And as Christians, we follow Jesus. Uh, we are his apprentices, we might say, in a more of a modern day um, kind of way of saying things. Jesus said to his disciples and those that want to follow him, he said these words, which sound a bit strange to us, but we'll um, understand what they mean in a minute. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls take my yoke. This was the picture of like, imagine in the oldie days, you've got some oxen, they're plowing the field, put two together, a little thing across their shoulders, and then uh, you could get like an experienced oxen, I think. I'm not an expert on oxenness, but anyway, you could get one, and then you could get like a less experienced one, and they'd like do it together, and like they learn. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving us. So we, as Christians, followers of Jesus, are learning to love. Love of God and love as others, love of others, was uh, what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. It is the way of life for a Christian. It's the way of life that Jesus teaches and the way we are to live with God, together with him, that picture of being kind of walking alongside him. Jesus said that he was the way. He's meant the way to live. He's an example to us of how to live and the way to know God. In the passage we just read, Jesus is having some really tough conversations There isn't much time left now until what he calls the hour or the moment that he and his friends and all of those around him who've been watching carefully have been anticipating. It is the kingdom of God is breaking in. And another word, a revolution is about to happen. Jesus' followers are imagining victory over the Romans. At the time, they are controlled by, oppressed by, governed by Rome, who is a massive superpower at this time. They are imagining an unleashing of power 
the power that Jesus has already demonstrated, that he can walk on water, he can raise the dead. What else can this man do? But Jesus' power has a different purpose than the one they anticipate, a different purpose. Jesus' battle is going to look very different. It's not going to involve killing or destroying people, but liberating from a greater evil than the Romans. If that is something perhaps they can hardly even begin to imagine. In this section of John's account of Jesus' life, chapters 14, 15, and 16, if you picked it up and read it, you would see there was almost like, what would the right word be? Maybe deluge of Jesus. If you picked up one of the Bibles where Jesus' words in red, you'd see red, red, red. Jesus is like, blah, 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 blah. I want to tell you this. I want to tell you that because, come on, guys, it's all happening. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he knows that death awaits him. And you get the sense that these are the final words. He's saying, I'm leaving, don't panic, you can follow, but not yet. And he's got lots of things that he's trying to tell them. And in the middle, we get these words that we're looking at today about love. Jesus' command to love is coming from a place where he says, you need to understand how loved you are. And then give your own lives in love. He says, let's read it again, verse 12 and 13, if you've got it in front of you. If not, just listen. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friend. Jesus is stating very clearly what's coming It's no surprise to him that he is going to die. It's not like a, ooh, I didn't see that coming. He knows what is coming. He will lay down his life. But we might ask, well, what difference does that actually make? Like, why? How can you win a war? How can you liberate these people? By dying. When Jesus died, above him was king of the Jews. That's why he died. They got a bit cross about it because they said, well, he's not. We've rejected him. We don't want him. They said, no, no, this has been written. It's because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. It was a challenge to Caesar, who saw himself as the ultimate authority... And the Jews saw it as blasphemy. The true king that they identified with was God. Now, Jesus is often called a good man who taught good stuff. But he also repeatedly took on titles that they only used for God. He took on stuff like, I am the good shepherd. He took on, I am. This was reflects the most holy of names for God. We might translate it today as Yahweh. You might have heard that. If he was a good man, which he, I guess, could have been, was he also perhaps a little bit crazy? Because you don't go around saying you're God. 
that isn't something a sane person does. So why the cross? Why lay down his life? What purpose did he see in it? How did it help anyone? After all, the Romans didn't disappear after the cross. They were still under occupation. Why did he say he was going to be killed? Why was this the hour, the moment that he would, he said, reveal his glory or how great he was? Why was this the greatest demonstration of love? Surely raising a man from the dead or helping someone see or walk is pretty glory revealing. If we think of glory about showing who he is or how great he is. And Jesus' teaching were pretty glory too. People were like, whoa, we have never heard this before. Death seems to be the opposite. Well, like anything odd, there is a bigger story. I want you to think for a moment about the last film that you watched. And now I want you to imagine starting that film halfway through and how weird the film might feel and how many questions you might have like what is going on why is that person doing that the bigger story around Jesus cannot be reduced to that it's it takes in the whole of the books of the bible it takes in poetry and prophecy and history a narrative. It's everything. The arc of the whole Bible tells a story that is much bigger than this one event, although this is perhaps the climax. It tells a story of a creator who creates out of love. He creates beings in his image to look like him, to act like him, to love like him, to enjoy creativity, which we see in creation, to enjoy friendship and fellowship with each other. And he gives them this great thing called free will, the chance to choose. And they have choices to make, an option to listen to him, to enjoy him, to have fellowship with him, or to strike out on their own and reject him and live for something else, to make something else king. And they choose the second option. They choose to pursue something else, power. And it costs them so much. Very soon we see in the page of the Bible our first murder. Then we read on a little bit more and God says this, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And whether you think of the beginning as two specific people or it's a symbol of the human choice continually choosing the wrong thing, again and again we can all say, if we look at history, both now and in the past, we see that human beings, we know this, have an amazing capacity to love and yet they seem to choose the other thing again and again. In history, we see that those who come to power often promise peace and prosperity and happiness. And the process is war and destruction and depression. 
Revolutions are born in hope, but often bring little change. And people are left thinking, well, maybe we need another revolution. And we can see that around the world today. The people who come to power make laws and try and force them. They blame others, countries, people groups for their problems. They climb up in power on the backs of poverty. And we know as a country, we've also been responsible for that. And all the time, people know deep down, I guess, what to do. But it's so hard. We know the environment, just take that for one. We know what we should do as countries, but no one wants to do it, really, because it's going to cost financially. Massive. Do you want to blow your economy now for something tomorrow? Jesus offers a different way. The way of love. And that's what we're learning, the way of love. It's not weapons. It's not trying to fight fire with more fire. But it's fighting hatred with love. It's not a huge battle of us on one side, them on the other. We're the goodies, they're the baddies. It's small seeds sown throughout the globe of people who know that they're broken They don't get it right all the time, but they want to choose a life of love, loving God and loving others. We see some great examples of Christians. We can think of some bad ones too, but some good ones might be Martin Luther King or Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, William Wilberforce, Nelson Mandela. They all said they chose the way of love to follow Jesus. And there are countless unknown people throughout the world that we never hear about who are daily trying to choose the way of love. The story of the Bible moves from Genesis through prophets, kings, And poets describing a kingdom where love rules and peace reigns. Where people are free from pain, oppression, and every human, regardless of race, color, sex, can be citizens. A kingdom so powerful, it can break every chain. It's going to be led by God's king, the Messiah. And this is the awaited one that Jesus claimed to be. As he hung on the cross, he said to the man on the right, the thief, who was saying, I deserve to be here. I haven't lived a life of love. Today, you'll be in my kingdom. You're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, the kingdom of love. Jesus said, I'm choosing you, though everyone will reject you, though you might even reject yourself. I choose you. Come join the kingdom of love. What was happening on the cross, we may not understand it, it might remain a mystery, was a bringing of this kingdom. Of course, Christians believe more than the cross. After being buried, Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to people, over 500 at a time. And the disciples who ran terrified, full of guilt and shame, who hid 
suddenly are wandering around telling everyone he has risen and they are willing to die themselves for that claim. In fact, they all did. So what happened? The disciples of Jesus in the early years recorded their understanding of what had happened on the cross. They tried to explain what was going on from the conversations that they'd had with Jesus when he had risen. They understood the cross as a moment in history of the world where all that was evil, not good, was drawn into Jesus. He took it upon himself. Every evil we can think of, every injustice, every pain, physically, mentally, that we might experience or others, every wrongdoing, including our own wrongdoing. And at this moment, all was destroyed, and human beings through Jesus were free to enjoy friendship with God and each other once more, to enjoy love and to love. Jesus said, It's finished, job's done. The moment he died, the end of the Bible gives us this great picture of the fullness of the kingdom that Jesus wants to bring where God is the source of truth and love and citizens celebrate. The writer of this gospel writes it. He has a picture of it. He says it's like a heavenly Jerusalem and we might see it as a heavenly Southampton. We imagine a heavenly Southampton where people get paid a decent wage for the work they do. We're all included and valuable where we don't have food banks, where we don't need to spend money um, on, on, on poverty and injustice, but because all is good. Children play in the streets without fear. Our doors don't need to be locked because anyone can come in and go because we trust them and love them. A place where we gladly share all we have without that awful feeling of I really don't want to give this person it because I need it, because it's mine, because I must have it all. A place in Southampton where we experience clean air because there's no pollution and where everyone in the city knows God, is loved by him and loves others. This is the picture of the kingdom that Christians are ultimately wanting to be a part of. They don't see it yet, but we want to see it. This is why we're learning to love better, even though we fail. Earlier in John's Gospel, he writes this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And from eternal, we can think of a quality of life, a a good life, an enjoyable life, a giving life, a loving life that goes on forever. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, to write it off, but to save and restore it. It is this love for the world, for you and me, that motivates Jesus to suffer this horrendous death. Not just physical, but think of the weight of the world of every evil upon himself. And he let the consequences of that fall on him. The consequence of death, destruction, decay. As Christian, we know 
that a Christian is a person that believes that Jesus' death was enough to deal with all this. It's too much for us. We try fighting it with weapons and wars and with rules and you must do this and you mustn't do that. What we need is love. We need Jesus to come and deal with it. The wrongs done to us and those we love are too much for us to bear. But Jesus can. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, forgive us our trespasses or sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're looking at the cross, the place of forgiveness. Jesus' death was forgiveness to free us from the hold of evil, the hold that evil that leads to death. But in Christ, through the resurrection, we know life now and forever. We know the way of love. So how? Jesus said in that passage again and again, remain, remain in the true vine. He meant him in his love. Keep close, keep asking for help. Keep admitting when you get things wrong. Keep saying sorry. And all the time we do that, we remember that we are loved. Because sometimes as Christians, we can get so caught up in trying to be loving that we forget that without trying, without doing anything at all, we are loved. God loves us. It doesn't come because we're nice, we're compassionate, we're kind. He loves us. So the first way of doing it is to remain in him. Remain, he says, in my love. Remain in that place. Because we all know if we're having a great day, we are a nicer person. If we're having a terrible day, we are not very nice. If we see someone who's been well-loved... They tend to be quite loving. If we see someone who's not been so well loved, they tend to struggle. As Christians, we need to remember how loved we are. And from that, we love. The second thing is to keep asking for his power to live the life of love, to be different. It's not easy, but we can ask for his power. Twice in the passage, Jesus says, ask me for anything. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? A bit wild. I'll ask for a car, a million pounds, an Xbox, a private island, a loving partner, great children. Let's ask for it all. But you'll notice in verse 16, he says, whatever you ask in my name. Ask anything in my name. That means ask for stuff that I want. And I want you to love each other. I want you to live that life of love. Ask for that. Ask for patience. Ask for kindness. Ask for faith. Ask for more of the Spirit's power. You can have as much as that as you like. Ask for it. Jesus said elsewhere, seek the kingdom of God first and all these things will be given. He said, make it your priority to love, to live a life of love. Everything else 
I'm going to take care of. If you ask me, God, I want to live a life of love. Help me do that. Make that my priority. He said, that's what you need, and then we'll worry about the rest later. Don't live, we learnt last week, for stuff. Don't make your thing. That will make me happy. That will make me more loving. That will fulfill my life. Go to God and say, please give me what I need. I need a changed heart. I need compassion. I need care. I need forgiveness for myself, for others. Seek him because he loves you. And Jesus says, as I give my life for you, now you go and do that for others. Let's pray together, and then we'll see how much fruit has been written down. Lord Jesus, we're sorry for the ways that we don't always walk in the way of love. Please show us now where we've been pursuing other things, and we lay them down right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you died for us so that we could know your love and freedom you bring. Help us to live in your love. Help us not to forget the extent and the power of your love. Help us to love. Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to love today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.